As we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been looking for a song that kind of summarizes the passage of Scripture that we are going to preach on. Uh, last week, Pastor Green, or Pastor Green, Pastor Creech uh, uh, gave us the song One. One is the loneliest number. But to summarize this week's passage, it's really that song. So you may have thought, hey, that's part of the worship set. That was the song that kind of leads us into our study of Ecclesiastes. And let me give you the background of the song. If you've been around Christian circles for a while, uh, you probably recognize that. It was sung by many different people. Michael W. Smith sang it. Sonic Flood sang it. But it originated with Matt Redman. Uh, Matt Redman is from England. He's a phenomenal uh, songwriter, uh, musician of himself. Many of the songs we sing are Matt Redman songs. And one, th- one thing happened. His, his church was going through some stagnation. Uh, and his church was kind of, worship was becoming more about the songs and the performance. And it became more about other stuff than it did about entering into the very presence of God. I mean, it became more about their preferences and their likes and their convenience. And it was less about coming into God's presence with all that we have and just say, here's, here's my heart. Here's, here's my life. And so the pastor did something pretty radical, especially when you have a guy like Matt Redman in the congregation. He took away all the band, all the instrumentation, all the sound system. He says, until we figure out how to, how to worship again, we're not bringing them back. And so they had a, a season of fasting, if you will, of their worship music. And they kind of had to gather and just kind of learn afresh. What is at the heart of worship. And it's all about Jesus. He reminded the church this. He said that I did this so that remind the church family that we are to be producers in worship, not just consumers. Really cool. Did you hear that? He's saying basically this, is that you are here to produce worship. I mean, we come into God's presence. It's really an audience of one, uh, but we're not here to consume. We're not here just to receive, although... We receive so much. What a blessing being with him and his people and his word, right? But we're here to produce. We're here for a purpose, and that is to worship God. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to take us this morning back to the heart of worship. And he's going to summarize it, which is he summarizes this entire book of Ecclesiastes, the very last chapter. He says that at the end of the day, What life is all about is to have a fear of God and keep his commandments. And and that fear of God is an interesting one to us. It's it's really saying this, that you and I should live our lives in, in trembling reverence to God. That we should know that there is a God, a God who created all things. That that this God has created us in his image. That this God loves us and and is for us. that, That everything we do in life. I mean, here on Sunday morning and Monday through Saturday, everything we do in life should be God-saturated, right? I mean, God-soaked. It, it, should, it should come from the love of God and flow from the love of God, that we should have a worship in all of our life, that life is truly supposed to be worship, worship of God. And in all of our worship, well, how, how do we worship? We look to God's heart. Who is God? How does he love? And let God's heart shape our heart of worship. All right, let me give you a quick recap. We've been going through this book of Ecclesiastes, and and I I don't know about you, I I hope you're enjoying it. I'm I'm loving studying it and preaching it. It's a most unusual book in the Bible. It really is. It's uh, 
peculiar in many ways because it's so bold. It's so authentic. It's, it's kind of asked questions that sometimes you're wondering, can I ask that question in church? Is that okay for me to say that to God? Well, this gives us a book that's brutally honest. And what it is, it's an honest look at life under the sun without God. It basically looks around everything that the world has to offer apart from God, and it comes up empty. As a matter of fact, it says, vanity is vanity. Everything about life without God, it's just meaningless. There's nothing new. It's like Groundhog Day. There's, there's nothing gained. Uh, it's just nothing remembered. Life apart from God, because he made us for himself, is all vanity. And what the, the purpose of this book is kind of cool. It's, it, it allows us to see the darkness. It allows us to see the brokenness that drives us to the light. I mean, the whole point of the book isn't for us to say, man, this stinks. The whole point of the book is to drive us toward God's Son and realize that life in Jesus, life in the Son, nothing is vanity. Nothing. Everything has meaning. Everything has joy. Because God's Word tells us right here, it's great. It says that God is going to make everything beautiful in its proper time. So everything that we cry about, everything that we are broken about, everything that we see in ourselves, in our mirror, in our world that is broken and undone, God says he's come to fix it through the work of his son. And, and don't, be, uh, don't be afraid and, and don't be saddened that Jesus has come. He's come to make all things new, starting with you and me. It's good, it's good stuff. And so this book is going to say, hey, life without Jesus, vanity. But life with Jesus is beautiful. It's hard, but it's absolutely beautiful. The writer of the book, it's interesting, he calls himself the preacher or the teacher. It's somebody who either teaches or preaches in a setting like this. It's a ecclesiastical, the Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes. It's a gathering of worship. So it's a preacher, a teacher, and as we read the book, we're led to believe this is Solomon. And if you know anything about the Bible, Solomon is revealed to us as the wisest of all, the wealthiest of all, a king of Israel. Uh, David's own son. So as we hear his voice, uh, we see that he tells us about life. And if Solomon or the preacher had a chariot or a bumper st- or a car, he would probably have two bumper stickers on each side of the chariot or his car. One, one of the bumper stickers would read this. Life stinks under the sun. I asked my wife, I said, can I use another word? Because it really should be another word there. I mean, really, stink is not really doing it justice. Can I, can I use another word? And her good wisdom says, no, you better not. <laughs> so we're going to just say life stinks, all right? But it says life stinks of the sun. That would be on his chariot or on his car. It's like, this is no good. But the interesting thing, on the other side, it would say this. Life is beautiful with the sun. It would say both. It would say life stinks. Under the sun, but life is beautiful with the sun, under, with the sun Jesus. It's interesting because the tone of this passage is going to change. Uh, so far, we've heard the preacher be more of an observer. He's kind of gone down different paths. He, he tried out wisdom. He, he tried out worldly uh, a pleasure. He's trying out all these things to find life and meaning, and he's coming up empty. And he's giving us his observation. But when it talks about worship, he radically changes tone. The preacher becomes a preacher. And he goes from more from observations to exhortations. He's going to kind of get in our face a little bit today. And this is God's word. He's going to tell us, listen, this is worship. This is important. And this is what 
we have been called to do. So God is going to turn our attention through the preacher to the worship of God. And, and, and he's going to give us some exhortation that this is the most important thing that we will ever do. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we'll pick up right where Joe left off last week. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the first seven chapters of Ecclesiastes 5. If you didn't bring your Bibles, no worries. Uh, you'll see it printed in the bulletin for you there. And also, you'll have uh, the words uh, behind me. But let's be mindful that Scripture tells us that this is God's Word. All of it's God's Word. Now, we don't know for sure who this preacher was, if it was Solomon or not. And we do know that it was written a long time ago. But because this is God's inspired word, God wants to talk to you. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever your story is, God wants to speak to you, not in a way that entertains you. No, no, no. He wants to do much more. He wants to speak through his word to transform you, to remind you of who you are and who he is. Let's hear God's holy word in verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business or busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that you, that, than that you should vow and not pay. We quote that all the time to the new members who are taking their vows. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. This is probably saying, it's a messenger there, it's hard to translate, is it an angel, is it God? It's probably someone in the temple that represents God, that you're going to him now saying, oops, I, I made a vow, but I didn't really mean it, kind of crossed my fingers back there. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity or, or meaninglessness or vapor. But God is the one you must fear. Let us pray. Father, clearly you have for us this morning some exhortations. Now, these aren't suggestions that you thought would be good for us to hear. These are things that you're telling us, you're commanding us to do. And so, God, you got to come and help us understand what is it you're asking of us? No, no, what is it you're commanding of us, demanding of us? Because we confess, we see dimly. I confess as a preacher. I remember the first time I read this passage, I said, what in the world am I going to preach on? What does this say? What does this mean? And I thank you for your Holy Spirit and for those who have gone before me that have written about this, that brought to light what is at the heart of this passage. And God, I pray that each one of us would be able to see and to know what is truly at the heart of this passage because this is at the heart of our God. This is about worship, worshiping you. 
So would you come and speak through a broken sinner like me, and would you be pleased to give us ears to hear your voice and and minds to understand your word and then hearts that embrace your truth? And and God, would you be with us so powerfully that you'd give us feet to, to walk in a manner worthy of your name? The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use those things to to shape us and to make us better worshipers, more, more like your son Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along uh, in your bulletin, there's an outline for you. We're going to have three points this morning. And the first one is this. It's interesting. It says, guard your steps. Guard your steps when you come into the house of God. Guard your steps because you and I, when we gather into this place where two or more gather in his name, God is with us. Guard your steps because of all the things we do in life. Listen, of all the things you do in your life, your schedule, your busy schedules, nothing compares to this. Nothing. I mean, this is the ultimate because we are gathering in God's name. And we, we, are, we are coming into the presence of the one who, who spoke and the heavens and the earth came into existence. We're, we're, the, we're coming to the one's presence who, who names the stars. I mean, we're coming to the presence of the one, the mighty God, who, who right now holds all things together according to his will and power. I mean, I mean, we gather in God's presence. So guard your step. He says it this way. He says, because God is in heaven and we are on earth. And what he's trying to tell us is this, is that there's something radically forever different with God and with ourselves. Although we've been made in his image and all that we are loved by him, I mean, God is God, right? I mean, God is infinite and eternal and unchangeable. And, and, and God is, is glorious and mighty. He's God. He's in heaven. And we're here on earth. So guard your steps. Several years ago at a uh, father-son baseball trip, we were making our way uh, to Washington, D.C. And, and one of the uh, uh, fathers that were on the trip had an inside connection to the West Wing at the White House. We knew somebody who was working there, so we worked it out, and this, this uh, great friend of mine uh, is a planner and, and sent all the paperwork ahead so that we knew that we were going to make our way from New York to Philadelphia to Washington, catching baseball games all along the way. Fathers and sons, great tradition. Dads, if you have sons, do it. It's phenomenal. And we got to Washington, D.C. We worked it out so we could get a tour, not just like everybody else's tour of the White House. We got like the West Wing. So we sent our paperwork in, and it's like passports and documentation, and they don't just let anybody in there. You couldn't just walk in. I got in. You didn't. And, uh, and so once you get there and you send all the paperwork in, and then you have to go to the guard station, and you waited a long time. They processed you for a long time. And I don't know what they were doing, but, you know, it wasn't, again, even with the paperwork there, they want to make sure this is the West Wing. This is the most powerful corner, the most powerful house in the world. And they were letting us in. So eventually we were able to get escorted into the West Wing. And I tell you, you want to guard your step there. Well, you know me. I'm going to make my way around as fast as I can, right? Turn a corner. And I'm not kidding you. I almost knocked over the Secretary of State. 
At the time, it was Dr. Condoleezza Rice. I'm nose to nose with Dr. Rice. She recognized me. I recognized her. And, uh, um, <laughs> and I was really thankful. I remembered that, you know, Dr. Rice. Dr. Rice, good to see you, ma'am. You know, I'm in, I'm in the West Wing. Uh, Tony Blair happened to be there. It was Bush's administration. And we really think he would have been in the Oval Office uh, had Tony Blair not had hung out with President Bush for longer. So we just saw into that office. But, you know, being in the, the West Wing of the White House, that was pretty cool. And you want to kind of guard your step there. But that's nothing like this. And this is, this is God's presence. We should have a reverence and awe every time we gather into God's presence. God has created us to be with him. He desires for us to be with him. But we always got to have reverence of coming to his presence. You know, I got to tell you the truth. Going to the West Wing of the White House, it wasn't like they were excited for me to be there, right? And you kind of felt like you didn't belong. And you kind of felt like they couldn't wait for you to leave so they could get back to what they were doing, right? And so, when listen, here's an important thing. When God says to us, hey, guard your step before you come into my presence, you start to wonder, does he really want me to come? I mean, does he really want me here? Am, am I kind of a nuisance? Have you ever thought that about God? I mean, does he, does he really enjoy being with me? I mean, it wasn't like President Bush said, hey, Jakes, get in here, man. Tell me about what's going on in your life, man. What's new? That's not like our God. He's like, I want you to come. Scripture says, guard your step because you're coming into God's presence. This is unlike anything else you do. But come. Isaiah 55.1 gives us a little hint, a little look into God's life of how he feels about us and the invitation of who he wants to come. He says this, come, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. He's basically saying this, it's an incredible invitation. He says the only, only thing you need to enter into the presence of God is a thirst for God, is a desire for God. It doesn't matter what you have and what you don't have. Come without money. Come without anything. Come, basically, we heard this song so many times you've been on church, just as you are. I mean, that's the beautiful invitation of God. It's like, you don't have to get your paperwork in early. You don't have to stand at the gate wondering if you're good enough to get through. You don't know have to wonder, you know, did my life, is my life good enough? Do I qualify? I mean, I mean, shoot, what about those bad, dark, ugly sins in my life? Oh, man, can I get in? He says this, this is the God of the universe. Listen, this is the God who created all things. This is God Almighty. He says, come just as you are. Oh, my goodness. What a privilege it is to gather in his name. I mean, what an absolute privilege. God has always desired to be with his people. He created us in his image, right, for this. And so what does he do? Where does he place us? He places us in a garden. He places us in a place that we call Eden, paradise, where God and man dwell together. He created us to know and love him and be, to have a relationship with him. And even when we rebelled, and even when our sinfulness disqualified us from the garden, even when we were driven away from the garden, here's the beautiful thing about God. He didn't stop pursuing us. He didn't say, oh, forget them. They're a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, I'll try something different. He said, I still want to be with them. I know their hearts. They're wicked. I know the inclination of the hearts. Every inclination is for evil. 
but I want them. I love them. I love my own. So, so what does God do? And the story of the Bible is this. The story of the Bible is of a God who loves you and wants to be with you. That's the story of the Bible. It's incredible. And the, the story of the Bible, the God who loves you and wants to be with you, he pursues you. And so when God's people were in slavery, he releases them in Egypt and they cross through the Red Sea and, and they go into the desert and they wander in the desert and they're in tents. And God says, hey, make me a tent. I want a tabernacle. Because why? I want to be with you. I want to put my name there. I want to put my presence there. I want, to, I want to identify with you. Even in the wilderness, God says, make sure that I'm there too. I am. So when they eventually get into the promised land, what does God say? Make me a temple there. Make me a place because I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to love you and always be with you. But all those things pointed to the ultimate tabernacle. You know who that was, don't you? I mean, God so longed to be with us that he became one of us to be with us. I mean, it says in the beginning was the word of God and he was God and, and, and all things were created by this word, God. And this word put on flesh, he, the Greek word is there, he tabernacled. <laughs> he pitched a tent. He pitched a tent of flesh. Why? So he could dwell with us. That's amazing. Because God longs to be with us. Do you know that? We created for him. And now he says that in Christ Jesus, you ready for this? This is, this is incredible. In Christ Jesus, he says, now you, you are a believer. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is making his presence known in you. Right now is a place where God and man meet and dwell is with his people. It's incredible. And it says in the end of the story, in the new heavens and the new earth, is it, is it will finally descend and God will be with his people. You know what they can't find in the new heavens and the new earth? You know what's not there? A temple. You think, oh my goodness, why is there a temple in the new heavens and new earth? Because God will dwell with his people. It's incredible. Now guard your step. You're coming into the place of God. Guard your step. This is God Almighty, but he wants you to be here. He is in heaven and, and we are in earth. But listen, we are the place. You understand? We are the place where heaven and earth meet. This is it. This is it. Until he comes in his fullness, this is the place where heaven and earth meet. I know it sounds, it feels so benign sometimes. It feels so like, oh, I was born. But the reality is this is how he sees it. We're his people bringing his spirit, singing his praises. And what a privilege is ours. The invitation was just come as you are. But what about the admission price? Uh, what, how, how do you go? Well, how do we pay to get into God's pre presence? They say that you, you don't show up to Chuck E. Cheese with a lot, a lot of cash in your pocket. You don't show up to worship without a sacrifice. I mean, you don't. I mean, in the Old Testament, you didn't, you didn't get into God's presence without killing something. And it wasn't just an entry fee. It was really kind of more like a, a, a realization that you don't belong. It was like, guard your step, you know. I mean, you have sinned. I mean, you are not holy. God is holy. God is in heaven. You are on earth. God is pure. You are impure. And so we come into God's presence. There needs to be kind of like an admission fee, if you will. There needs to be a, a sacrifice. There needs to be something. You, you just didn't show up to worship in the Old Testament without something to kill. Because either you were going to die or it was going to die. 
And you may want to say, well, that's really, really strange. But the Bible says that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood and, and, and only come to holy God's presence. There needed to be a sacrifice. But you know, the bulls and the goats and the lambs that they slaughtered and they slaughtered and they slaughtered. You get to the New Testament, they say, you know, darn, they didn't work. Because the blood of goats and bulls, it doesn't take away your sins. Only the Lamb of God can take away the sins of man. Only God's blood can wash you cleaner than snow. Only God becoming man to become your sacrifice allows us to gain entrance into the Holy of Holies. What is the entrance fee? Well, it's the blood of the Lamb. Psalm 24 will say it this way. Psalm 24 asks a question that we all should ask. I mean, who can enter God's presence? It says it this way. It says, who can stand on God's holy hill or who can ascend God's holy hill? I mean, who is good enough? Who's holy enough? Who's pure enough to come into God's presence? And we also say, dang, disqualified, no good. I am not worthy. But Jesus is called the king of glory in Psalm 24. And this king of glory, he's going to come and says he's going to open up the ancient gates. He's going to open up the door. He's going, to, he's going to provide the way. Jesus says it this way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. And it's amazing what it says about this king of glory. It says that he's mighty in battle. He's a warrior. And then in the greatest story ever told, you get the gospel story. The one who's a king of glory, mighty in battle, the, the valiant warrior. We see the truth about him. He becomes the man of sorrows. The king of glory is the man of sorrows. The mighty warrior, he's the lamb of God. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, who would have ever seen this coming? The ultimate espionage story ever told is the story of how God rescues you and me. How Jesus, the one who was rich, becomes poor so that through his poverty that we might become rich. He offers everything he has for us, for us to come to him. So here's the point. Guard your step as you walk into the house of God. Guard your step because you're coming into God's presence. But he's saying to this, he wants you there. He's inviting you there and he's provided Every single thing you need to enter the presence of God has been given to you through Jesus Christ. Now you can boldly come into his presence. We just had the Gospel Coalition Conference here this last week in Orlando, and many of our staff members were able to go. And, and someone was talking about this King Jesus, this King of glory. He said, this King of glory is such an amazing king. Is that you could wake him at three in the morning like a child and say, will you help me? And he will. I mean, this king, this almighty one, is so intimate and near and dear. He's our big brother. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me, whatever you have. Come to me, whatever time you want to come. Come to me, anywhere, any place. I will listen, and I am for you, and I love you. Isn't that a great God? That's this king of glory. And now the Bible tells us that, that when we come into his presence, you ready for this? That, uh, Romans 12.1, let's take a quick look there. You don't come into God's presence without killing something. That's what the Bible in the Old Testament basically is about. But you come to the New Testament and you realize that, that what was ultimately sacrificed for us was God's Son. And now we have the privilege of coming in life. 
Listen to this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, we come, we come not having to kill anything. We come offering our very lives as living sacrifices. As we were studying this text as a staff, Larry Shingler said that uh, we were thinking, what would it be like to be in God's presence? I mean, what if our people really understood that we're going to have corporate worship in God's presence? Then he told a cool story. He said that for the Christian school in Tallahassee that he was a part of, that they would have as a part of their auction, they would auction off a, a lunch hour with Bobby Bowden back in his heyday. Now, some of you Gators said, I wouldn't pay a dime for that, you know? And I, I understand. And you can go have lunch with Rod Zook or whoever you want to have lunch with. But anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> I digress. You know, I mean, once I get college football, I mean, just somebody hit me. All right, anyway, let's get back on the point. But what would you pay? I mean, what would you pay for time with Bobby Bowden, especially for FSU fans? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? A lunch with Bobby, an hour with Bobby? Some of you are like, no, wouldn't want to do it. But if you were there, would you want to talk or would you want to listen? Would it be about you telling Bobby how great you are? Or would it be hearing how he had so many successful seasons? So when we come to his presence, we should listen. It's the next point. But before I leave this last one of guard your step, can I just also say, don't ever, don't ever forget that God himself would move heaven and earth for you to be able to go into his presence. Every, listen, every obstacle that sinners like you and me have in God's presence that keeps us from his presence, he's knocked down. He says, just come. But when you come, you guard your step, and you cover your mouth. Don't you know people who love to talk? Okay, Jake, you're one of them. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about People who don't really want to hear you, they just want to tell you about their stuff. And all they do sometimes is patiently wait for your mouth to stop so theirs can open and they can start talking. That you really know they're not listening. They're just talking. And he's saying this about our worship. We shouldn't come in here. It shouldn't be about us as babbling our words about God. That we're entering God's presence. Cover your mouth. It says, let your words be few sometimes. I mean, and just be in awe of the God who loves you, that's created all things. Come and listen. Prepare your hearts. It's not just, man, I like that song. I didn't like that song. Man, Jeff was great. He's terrible, whatever. Come and listen. I mean, enter into God's presence. It was interesting at this conference, I told you, the Gospel Coalition Conference, um, they had some breakout sessions and they had Tim Keller uh, give a breakout session. It had to be held in the main. There's 9,000 people at this conference. And the, the main uh, breakout with Tim Keller is filled, and it was amazing. And he left time for questions. And uh, a room full of people, you know, you're not going to be able to get very many questions. And he said something interesting. He says, for those of you who are most narcissistic, who make your way to the mic, will answer your questions. And he was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't in line, you know. So, uh, because I'm a narcissistic enough to stand up in front of a bunch of people and ask questions. But one guy who stood up, um, I kind of made Katie a little uncomfortable because I started rumbling and grumbling at him. Because he started telling Keller more about who he was and asking questions, you know. 
He was saying, well, well, in my church, I do this, and we do that, and this is what we do. And I'm like, dude, man, ask him a question. You got Tim Keller in a room full of people. We want to hear from him, not you. I don't care about your church right now, man. I want to hear Tim Keller. And I'm not trying to be cold here, but come on. I think that there is a sense where we have God here in our midst. And what we should care most about is hearing from him. He says this. It's very interesting. He says, draw near to listen because it's better than a sacrifice of fools. And when it says draw near to listen, it's this word like obey. It's not just listen, but it's listening and do. You know when you tell your kids sometimes, you didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. And they're like, why are you saying you didn't listen to me? Because you told them, don't do this, and they did it. You didn't listen because you didn't obey. You've been there, right? You didn't listen to me because you didn't obey me. It wasn't they didn't hear you. It wasn't that they didn't process what you said. They didn't listen to you, meaning they didn't obey you. So this passage of Scripture says it's better to listen to God, it's better to obey Him than it is to offer a token sacrifice. I mean, don't think you can come in here and open up a checkbook and and pay your way out of this. And don't think you're going to give something to God that's going to make Him like you. He already loves you. you got nothing to offer. He willingly chooses to accept what you bring. Bring your best. And the sacrifice of fools is those who think that they could come and bargain with God, Right? He says, it's better to you to come listen and obey. What I want is your heart, not your stuff. I don't want a token. And then he says something that's pretty hard. 